people are like, dude, I listen to Infowars because they just give you the straight truth. They don't, uh, <laughs> you know, they're not in, they're not interested in trying to sell you something. It's like, dude, they told you to be terrified for your life of a government takeover and then cut to a commercial where they sold you a flak jacket. It's yeah, so they sell you a, a $60 bottle of nascent iodine for the coming like radioactive war. Yeah, <laughs> what is nascent iodine for? It's something, it's some sort of stuff that helps you dispel radiation or something like that. It's like one of those things that's always making the the list of products on the like conspiracy theory circles list. Like that okay. colloidal silver is another one. I've heard that one. I've heard of colloidal silver. Is that good for fighting off werewolves? I would imagine. Welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And it's been a number of months since we did a solo episode, so today it's just the two of us here. No guests, just the worst part of the episode for the next hour. hour. (laughs) (laughs) Think of it as an extended intro a week early. Yeah, exactly. We're just doubling up on intros and tacking into the front of an interview that got deleted. There we go. So, um, we were just reading this article about how the French Catholic Church is going to sell its assets in order to compensate abuse victims. Yeah. And, like, how do you... I was watching this thing about cards, like trading cards. They're short on assets, let's be honest. I mean, they probably have at least a dozen cathedrals that are almost completely empty. Yeah, they literally could have built, like, a golden rocket to go to Mars with in the shape of one of those stupid hats. I mean, they could have just used the gold-plated dome on one of their cathedrals, I'm sure. that. I was watching this thing, and they were talking about like how card trading, like sports cards, all the way down to like Digimon cards and stuff is huge right now. And there's just tons of money in it. Really? I wish yeah, apparently it's enormous. Pokemon card collection. It seems like everybody has a box of cards somewhere, but it's never anything valuable. No, I don't actually. I, I'm, it's interesting what makes things become valuable, right? Because when we were kids, it was the holographic Charizard. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that yeah, was that a big was, deal at the time. And then they like hit circulation. You used to be able to sell them for like a hundred bucks, and that was when a hundred bucks was like a hundred bucks to you is like an eighth grader with a shitload of. Money. Yeah, that was money you thought about. Like it was like your four hundred one k at the time. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, if anything happens, I can always fall back on old Charizard. <laughs> Sitting on a box of holographic Pokemon cards, and this is definitely gonna this is gonna save me. Like I, I mean, this is my first car in this box. If times get tight and I have to dip into my savings to buy a corsage for my senior banquet date, if my dad like loses his job or things get rough, I can help support the family financially. <laughs> I could sell it to raise money for my mission trip that I keep begging everybody for, but. <laughs> It just doesn't seem responsible. No, that's not a good that's not a good use of that kind of money. <laughs> well, they were talking about on this thing about how cards are evaluated for value. And I guess it's it's basically all based off of recent eBay purchases. But like how does that work if you're selling like the Pope's golden bidet 
Like, how do you place a value on that? Like, is it by weight? Uh, I'm sure you factor in the cost of gold. And then the, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the, uh, I, I don't know, uh, rarity, factor in rarity for sure. Like how many holy butt cheeks has that thing? Oh, how many, my, how many holy cheeks has that thing kissed? Yeah. <laughs> my son told me tonight while we're on, uh, the conversation, the bathroom talk, he told me that, uh, diarrhea is melted poop. So. I thought oh. that was insightful. He's a bit of a scientist himself, huh? Yeah. Melted poop. <laughs> it's like it comes out hot, feels like it's on fire. It's probably melted. If you had to, okay, let's say um, allegations happen. You get to pick one thing from the long list of the Catholic Church's assets. Like, what are you picking? Oh, do they have the shroud? The, what's, the, what's the thing that Jesus wiped his face on or something that is such a nerdy thing that's a you thing to pick like i want a golden battle axe that like cut off vlad the impaler's head or something like that you would you would i mean (laughs) we obviously went in the directions that we would i mean dude the catholic church has the amount they have museums full of stuff i i can't imagine what they actually have you know I wonder if there's even like a catalog of it somewhere. Like there's got to be like an inventory list of like priceless relics at the Vatican. I know. How do you decide who gets that? Like, you know, that that kind of stuff always becomes an issue. Like when an ancient artifact of some sort is found that's tied to a particular religion, everybody thinks that like they lay claim to it. But I feel like generally most things go to, the Catholic. I mean, who else is going to go to the Southern Baptist Convention? Like, there's not. No one else has ancient ties. <laughs> like, you don't even have a shot, for, like, of entering your name into that company. Just like, there's obviously the Catholic Church because they've been around for over two thousand. Did you watch that that Netflix documentary that came out earlier this year about the guy who he was like a treasure, a Mormon treasure hunter, and he would find like these rare documents and stuff. <laughs> oh no, he couldn't find I, those. Dude, it's like that. It's like that. So he, so it turned out that the guy was a fraud. Like these, all these artifacts were, oh, were fake, but he had this one called like the salamander leather where Joseph Smith is talking about how like the angel that he, that appeared to him, Moroni or whatever turned into a white salamander. And it was like a huge departure from typical Mormon theology. And the Mormon church paid crazy money for it. <laughs> I mean, made this guy overnight. He had like a Toyota MR2 in like 1988. He had like an AK-47. He's shooting in the desert. He was living large. But Dude, that's hilarious. And all of this, a, a lie. He made the whole thing up. Yeah, it gets less hilarious because he ends up getting into a tight spot and bombing some buildings. Uh, apparently, okay. he wasn't sitting on any Charizard cars. Yeah, so, cars. What? Cars. Uh, he went the domestic terrorist route. Wasn't there a recent, um, there was a recent painting sold or whatever. Um, they, they, they titled it, take the money and run. Did you hear about this? No, I'm going to have to look this up on the fly because I didn't have it right in front of me, but here we go. Artist Jens Hanning took $84,000 for, a a, a painting. That he titled Take the Money and Run. It was a blank canvas. It wasn't a painting. Blank canvas. Uh, the artist Jens Hanning says the blank canvas is make up a new work of art titled Take the Money and Run. He was commissioned to like do this painting. And that's what he turned in. Like He got paid up front. I think he might have got paid more afterwards. Uh, but 
basically he just handed out a blank canvas and said, and then kept 84 grand. So that's a boss move. Yeah. The museum is trying to get it back. Uh, they, he said um, that he calls it a commentary on poor wages. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the, I guess it was a museum. I don't know if it was a museum that some are, I don't know. I don't know who commissioned it. Uh, I'm not even going to get into it. Cause I'm reading this as I go and I'm just going to make myself sound even more literate, but uh, whoever it, it was for, they're saying it's a breach of contract. Uh, so they're trying to get the money back, but he kind of like disappeared. I don't know if anything's developed afterwards. You can all Google that on your own, but I think this guy, it's a, just a local hero. Yeah. Good for him. That's like that Banksy painting that when they're auctioning it off or whatever, it like went down through the, the, like a paper shredder in the bottom of the frame. Did you see that? No. Yeah. He had like some piece of art that he had done and it was like a real big deal. There's all these people there for the unveiling and all of a sudden it's like, and it starts like creeping down into the frame (laughs) and shreds like right in front of him, just dumps on the floor. That's incredible. It was pretty cool. That's dope. Dude, it was, uh, it's like, do you remember the first time you saw the movie inside man? If you haven't seen it, that's going to be, it's going to be weird. No. I don't think I've seen the, it. That was one of the bank robbery. It came out so long ago. So fuck you if you have a problem with spoilers. Anyone <laughs> listening, uh, you should have watched it by now. But it was just one of those like the first. I, maybe you could have seen something like that coming. Uh, but I think it was a good movie. Like I, I haven't seen it in so long. I remember seeing it in high school, and when I watched movies in high school, I wasn't really trying to process what was happening and think about the endings. To be honest, I still don't do that. I don't. It's not my strong point. I don't really like watching movies with people who do like people who do it where it is a badge of honor every time they guess the end of a movie before it gets there, like halfway through, like this is what happened. And if it didn't, they're like everyone forgets about it. But the times that they get it right, they just cling to it like they're a goddamn genius or something. That is the worst. That's the worst trait. If you do that, you should (laughs) should wean yourself off of that behavior. I don't like it. Like they're like... (laughs) Like, so, but some people get like a thrill out of trying to figure out the mystery of a movie. I'm like, that's not why I watch movies. I watch movies to shut my brain off and just absorb it. And then at the end, I got to go, oh, no, shit, that's fucking crazy. And be happy about it and be like, oh, twist. But Inside Man was like, they robbed this bank, but they're really like he's after one thing and he stages a bank robbery and they don't use any real weapons. And they basically, I mean, they break some laws, but nothing that's not like everything they broke only puts them away for a short period of time. And it's all to steal a piece of something from like an heirloom in a safety deposit box. that's like unregistered because it's stolen or something like that. So like, it's like almost a victimless crime and the whole thing sets up as like, it's like this huge bank robbery. And at the end, "Ah, they're not taking money. What's their game plan? And, it's just like it was cool. And I remember feeling like like that, like that was like that first movie I watched where like that felt like the ultimate boss move. This elaborate ruse to get something that no one even has a record of. And, and you just disappear into the wind because no one knows who you are really. And I think of that movie when I think of things like this guy who just submits a uh, a blank canvas and takes eighty four thousand dollars. Like a it, it's sick. <laughs> I wanna I wanna be like that. I wish I could because everyone loves get rich quick shit and everybody knows it's bullshit. And then you hear about people who'd make boss moves like that. And you just want to be a boss like that. Some people just know how to pull it off artistically mm-hmm. and more power to them. Yeah. I feel like I don't 
like whether you're talking about like movies or artwork, I think I'm just a slack jawed Midwesterner. <laughs> Cause like, I don't get it. Like I don't get a lot of it and I don't wear it as like, a, it's not a badge of honor for me. Like I don't feel like salt of the earth. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, uh, like I like watching videos where people like pick apart movie themes, you know, I was actually yeah. I was just watching one. But, uh, you know, they they show you like all of these like parallel scenes in the movies and what the 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 writer was trying to say through it and everything. And I'm I'm always like watching. It. I'm like, I, I just I would have never picked this out. Yeah, I never would have seen this if somebody didn't spell it out for me. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I mean, dude, think of like when we had uh, Brent Lydic on to talk about Spirit Quest, like. That was cool to hear him talk about like some of the things that he had thought about and why he made some of the choices that he did. And I honestly think that the, that was one of the first times in my life I made a connection between the themes of what he was doing. Like when it was, when he started the film off with Richard Rohr, but I only got there because I had talked to him a little previous, a little bit previously about like his influence uh, on why he made the film and, if I went into that blind without ever having talked to him or without knowing anything about him or why he like, because if I didn't, if he didn't, if we didn't start a conversation on social media, you know, before the movie came out um, and I just watched it and I didn't know that he had an evangelical background or anything like that, a lot of that would be lost on me. So like, I, I need a lot of assistance to make, and I will like, so like you said, when you watch people set up like, and then the way they filmed it and they shot it with this lens and this like, represents that. And you're like, yeah, I didn't go to film school and yeah, I'm not, there's that so cool. much that goes into <laughs> it. I, I like everything's a metaphor for something. And you're like, that's a lot. That is a lot. And it means something to maybe the person who it almost means more to the person who made it than it does to like the average viewer. Who's just like, that was a sick movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's so there's this one YouTube channel. It's worth looking up. It's called Logos Made Fresh. Made flesh. Logos Made Flesh. That sounds so Christian, dude. It's definitely like there's a lot of God themes in it, which makes me question why I like it so much. But <laughs> he has you, uh, this from... video that's called. It's about uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, and it's called The Silence of God, and it is incredible i watched it like four or five times just like looking through and, and the themes that they play on in the movie and like you know how so, it's such a consistent theme throughout the movie that people die like without ceremony without any sort of like esteem or or anything like that and it's all there it's just not anything that i picked up on watching it like the first four times i ever saw the movie you know i've only seen the movie once uh and I might have been like a freshman in college or a senior in high school when I saw it. And that was one Rated of those R. movies that I remember. Being, yeah, I know. I was able to make my own choices. And I remember that being one of those movies that I knew people had people had talked about. Like, wow, this is a phenomenal fucking. And I heard a little bit about why. Uh, but I didn't. And even when I watched it, then I was like, that was really good. But I, part of me feels like I just said it was really good because I felt like if I didn't, I would be like, I, I, I don't want to be like the guy who doesn't get it. And I don't remember a lot of the movie. I do remember that was the first time I was introduced to as it, as it Paul Dano. Uh, he was in no country full of men, right? 
Mm, maybe. I don't know. We're about to find out. I like that we uh, have to look a lot of stuff up on the fly with this. Yeah, that's riveting stuff. Oh, it was uh, that was a Coen Brothers. Movie. Yeah, they do a lot of spirit. Don't they do a lot of spiritual themes? Yeah, I think it's a mix. I I don't know. I, I do know that the, like that movie was the first one that I ever watched like crotch cam style. Like somebody had vi- videotaped it from their lap in the movie theater and I torrented it in the dorm and watched it. <laughs> Dude, I have never been able to watch a movie like that. that I don't think just I've got like, a lot of them under my belt, but I did I did get that one done. Dude, I am wrong about Paul Dano being that. What the fuck movie am I thinking about? What's the one with Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano? Oh, uh, There Will Be Blood? There Will Be Blood! Cool. I'm an idiot, so I don't know anything about the movies I'm talking about. That is a good one. That's Yeah, but that's the one that I knew people... I've ne- I, no country for old men. Is that the one that doesn't have like um like a uh, doesn't have any music in it? Is that the guy yeah. who's like a killer and just goes around like blasting people and he's like a like very like deadpan? Yep. Okay. That's the one. Yeah, that was a very bizarre film. It is, and it makes like so much choices. more sense to me now having watched that. But it always makes me wonder like some of those things like that one seems very deliberate. There's other ones that you watch and you'll hear people pick those different things out of and you you can't help but think like, is this coincidental or was this done on purpose? Like, did the filmmaker know what they were trying to get out of this parallel when they were doing it? Yeah, I feel like if you know you're watching a movie from like a really good. I mean, it doesn't have to be a really good filmmaker, but there are some who have that credibility where you're like, there isn't there isn't a moment of this movie that you're watching that they weren't calculated, you know? Yeah. That it just, that, that kind of stuff always reminds me of my first year at Hillsdale because I took an English class from a professor that was like notoriously hard. And I mean, the only English I had at my school, we didn't do any writing. We barely did any reading. It was like at your high school. You're not talking about Hillsdale. You're talking in high school before Hillsdale. Exactly. Like our English classes were just like conjugating sentences about missionaries. Yeah. Like literally, that's what we did every year. You just repeated the same process. It was like, now we're going to learn about adverbs again. So I wrote like one paper. Never. I don't feel like that ever made me a better writer. Like maybe it really does. If you're a real writer, I, I want to talk to a legit writer who's like, dude, conjugating sentences is what made me who I am today. I Maybe they exist. Maybe the Coen brothers. I don't know. Yeah, I did it in Greek. I guess it kind of helped when I was learning a new language, but I don't know. Well, I'm probably not as good of a writer as I think I am, but that's the only way I got decent grades in college. If it was like a test, I was fucked. Absolutely fucked. Even if it was multiple choice. Because multiple choice, I feel like I'm being tricked all the time. Like everything feels like a trick. <laughs> I can see you choice. like reevaluating over and over your choices. Like that's a lot of C's in a row. <laughs> <laughs> everything feels like a trick. But like a paper was like, yeah, I'll do this ten page paper. That's like that was my jam, and I would put. I would like start them early, get a bunch of all the books I need, get to the library before everyone else. Because I'm like. If I don't if I don't get to the library six weeks ahead of time, by the time I get here, all the books I need are going to be gone. So I, I love that. And I hadn't written any papers in high school really either. So I was pleasantly surprised when I realized that 
that worked for me because like I said, tests were a night. Anyway, uh, you didn't do any reading. Did not I mean, you did read. You you conjugated missionary sentences and yeah. missionary positions and it literally like all of the sentences and stuff at our school when you were going through and working through the workbooks, it's all just either Bible stories or stories about like so and so's the first missionary to go to China. He was controversial because he wore native Chinese garb. Like oh. Literally, that was that was the kind of stuff it was, and he I got like to this. culturally appropriate while uh, while uh, colonizing. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know exactly where my pace stood whammy. on it. No. <laughs> I could see them taking a hard stance either way, but I got to this English class, and it was all like it's it's like a literature class where you're doing this kind of you're evaluating written work and you're trying to pick different themes out of it and write about those things. And this guy's super hard anyways. And I was so lost. Like I was just flailing in the air. Like I I, I feel like <laughs> I had skated through in this garbage education system that I went through and just gotten straight A's with no effort. Cause I could memorize stuff, you know? And then I got into this class and it was like the first time I realized I wasn't smart. <laughs> and like, it was shocking. It was less, it was not just like academically shocking. It was like, uh, shook up my entire state of being yeah. like, I'm not the smartest person alive. Yeah. But like, oh, I got a hundred on my word building test. Every, I love that you mentioned memorization, like, because that kind of was education in a, in a lot of ways in high school, right? It's like, let mm-hmm. me just memorize this for the test and then let it slip from my mind completely. Uh, like that was that was most things. Uh, even like uh, on the on the SATs, right, where you where you read like a paragraph or two, and then you have to answer a couple questions on it. It's like, oh yeah, I paid attention. I paid. Like you're evaluating reading comprehension, like yeah. What are we doing here? I know <laughs> reading comprehension, but it's like I, I I don't have great reading comprehension, really. Like I, I don't think I do. It, it's tough because I one since I was like in my early twenties, even in high school, dude, I couldn't read a book without falling asleep, especially if they're boring. Like history has never been good for me. Uh, I've it's been my worst subject. I hated it, hated it in college. I had only did the bare minimum for like history requirements as a, as a, <coughs> excuse me, edit that out or don't. I don't um, as a Bible major, it was, uh, it just, I just, I don't know. I, I think I was only good at things I cared about uh, and everything else is a struggle. Uh, and then like, so in high school taking like us history and stuff, I, I just would read two paragraphs and fall asleep. And, and I, it never, I, I could never, do well and that happened in college too i remember they were like having this i was hanging out with jill and uh like she would she was a history major she's great with history uh and i just i'm in like history 101 whatever like the basic requirement is it's like world history or some shit and that was like one of the few times that i remember just studying all night and having her help me i'm like i'm going to fail this fucking class and it's 101 history 101 <laughs> Everything else was fine. I can't handle it. It's, and I hate that too because now I'm, I find it more interesting, and I, I, I find 
of well, especially now, right? We're in this world now where everyone just pretends our history was whoever they want it to be. And I find history to be more interesting and more important. Now. So now I can pay attention for more than two minutes because I find it. But I'm done. I don't know. That yeah. was a tangent. <laughs> I think I, it was just the way that, the, like, the things that they focused on when they were teaching you history. Because I find it fascinating, too. I listen to history podcasts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, they, it was like you were just learning a list of events and dates. Yes. That was what, what was. was awful for me. It was like, so what happened in, what happened in Egypt in 1346? And you're like, fuck this shit. I don't know. Like, you make it yeah. interesting. Show Why are we summarizing a timeline? You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. what's the significance of it? Why is it interesting? Like, tell me the story behind it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, even in um, even in one of my Bible classes, I had to write a paper on, there was a bunch of things you could pick from, but I picked, it had, it had to do with like the, what was going on at that time. It was one of like the first, I think, I forget a lot of it apparently, but archaeologically, it's like one of the first like areas to do, have like a running water system, right? Where they built the bathtubs on like the roof. aqueducts. Yeah, yeah, aqueducts. See, yeah, I even wrote a paper on it. Forgot the word aqueducts. But it was one of the, like where you were like, oh shit, like they were like pretty advanced. They had like running water. Like they would have, they would catch the rain, and then they would have like it go down the pipes, and they would turn the thing, and they would have like actual faucet in their house and shit like that. Like it was cool, and I remember actually being interested in that because human ingenuity and the way that people would figure out how to advance things at that time. But so whenever you gave me something specific and you gave me the ability to write like a, a paper or learn about a specific topic that was interesting, it was cool. But then, of course, I don't have any broad sense of understanding of anything. I'm like, I've I wrote a paper on this subject and that there's probably like six things in college that I wrote a paper on that I was like, I know a good bit about that as much as you can in 10 pages. And then <laughs> that's it. Like. I, it, it the extent of your education is pretty funny because I wasn't specializing. Something. Like you, you move on to higher education and you can do that. Like what I find fascinating about PhDs is people pick such obscure specific topics and it has to be something that's really gone unresearched. And you're like, you know, I'm really interested in 15. And it's like the, it's like an exact date of like 1568 to 1569 architecture and this like, civilization that nobody knows anything about and we have a few shards of pottery for that. it's like you get so oddly specific and someone spends a ton of their time and research on that and they're an expert in that by the time they graduate and you're like that's cool <laughs> that's such a weird thing to do but it's pretty yeah. cool it's just the way that it's set up like that's the that's the entry system that you have to go through you have to like Prove that you're dedicated enough to spend three years looking at pottery shards. Yeah. And that's in order to have like the, the painting on the wall. Career. Yeah. Yeah. You get that. Like this guy's really devoted to studying stuff. Nobody cares about. Therefore we trust him to study stuff. People might care about. <laughs> <laughs> you passed the litmus test. You can, you can work on cancer now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad somebody does it. Cause it's, it's not for me. God, dumb, dumb boy. I know it's not. I mean, well, you know, what's cool about now is uh, even people who did all that hard work to get where they are and know what they know, you can be like, yeah, sorry, man. I just don't believe that, you know, do your research, bro. Yeah, I did my own <laughs> research. I did my own research. And I think everything you spent your entire life studying is uh, seems like a lot of crap to me. 
Yeah, the Earth is actually hollow, and it's Lizard full of reptilians. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. Okay, this is a good transition, dude, because I want to get into this. Uh, a little while back on the Instagram, I had uh, posted some pages from a local newspaper, like my local paper. And yes, my favorite editorials. Yeah, it's the Spencer New Leader, and they have their the letters to the editor section, and it's obviously a mess. And I haven't checked it in a minute, so I went through like the past five weeks to see like what people have been up to. And there are these two dudes. I think it was the same one. I don't even remember the name of the guy who wrote the one that I had posted. I guess I'll just pull it up while I'm talking here. But now you said you said one of them, your your wife knows. So one of them was the was my wife's history teacher. Oh, uh, and he yeah he he goes off. Oh, I covered the name up. I don't know why I did that. I guess I'm a decent human. <laughs> I covered the name up on he our stands Instagram. by his words. I'm not. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought about when I was like, do I need to cover this up? This guy's writing into the paper, like putting his first and last name on this. And that's that's an an unheard of level of hubris these days where you're like, this can't be contained to a Facebook status. Like the the community at large needs to see this in print. Yeah. So over the past five weeks, there's so two guys. I'm going to use their names. Because it doesn't matter. I think we should invite them on the podcast, to be honest. I oh, think please. Be- that would be so great. <laughs> <laughs> I might write a letter to the editor formally inviting both of them onto my podcast. I think they might I'm answer that call to arms. To uh, they, have, they have a lot they need to defend. So one of them is McCray. We'll, go, we'll use their last names. McCray. And then the other one is Robillard. Robillard? Robillard? I don't know. And I don't care. Now, are these guys battling or are they like two peas in a pod? They're two peas in a pod saying basically the same things. Now, there are a couple of people who are regularly responding to what they say and being like, oh, listen to the absolute idiocy of McRae from last week, acting like a total fucking idiot. And of course, they don't use the F word because you can't. It's a local paper. Because good people don't. So over the past five weeks, McRae has written five articles. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through the uh, the article titles he's written every single week. And uh, there's some there's just some doozies in there that are, are worth just I'll quote him a couple of times. But oh, and then the other guy, Robillard, over the past five weeks, has written four articles. Like, I think it's worth talking about what these people have going on in their lives for every single week. I'm Dude, some of them are are full pages, full page edit- letters to the editor on like. They're psycho opinions. Uh, so McCray comes out swinging on October 8th with uh, it's Mr. McCray to you, pal exclamation point. That's the name of his article. And it is oh. a full page response to somebody who felt the need to criticize what he had to say. There is not a lot worth going through there. Cause he's just like being uh, oddly, that's just a weird defensiveness that you'd think, you know, I mean, this guy, okay. So this guy, like, this is the guy who is my wife's history teacher. He's now retired. Uh, she, she recalled him at one point talking about how, how he said teaching was the best part-time job he ever had. And teachers were overpaid. So, okay. 
He's got he's a little Ron of, Swanson vibe to him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then, so I, for whatever reason, he felt the need to write an entirely full page editorial where he kind of gets into like defending, you know, like Confederate generals and how scary it is that there's going to be CRT written in schools and CNN's fake news, you know, all the, all the, all the hits. Uh, and then, so on October 15th, he comes out with a uh, heads up parents. The FBI is watching. Now, if I could get in, I don't know, I guess if there's anything I could level this guy on, it's that that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like a bold claim. No one's super worried about like, but pe- most people aren't worried about it. Like you can kind of tell how uh, unhinged somebody is by the level of like paranoia they have about it. Right. Like I know the FBI could probably find some information on me too. They could watch me if that was worth their while, but they're not going to, because that's not, and I don't, I don't walk around concerned about that. I'm not doing anything that warrants me being uh, assassinated or, being used as a patsy or some resistance like to that. it isn't tied to your sense of self-worth. Yeah. But so, you know, he goes on like a three paragraph run. It's like what the FBI that stood by the last year and watched violent criminal thugs from BLM and Antifa whose firebombs caused a billion dollars worth of destruction of private and government property who stood by while innocent civilians and police were beaten and murdered and entire cities terrorized by those goons. And our premier law enforcement agency did nothing. The FBI, the FBI that framed Richard Jewell for the Atlanta Olympics bombing, the FBI that murdered Vicki Weaver, the FBI, the gang that waged fiery and unholy war on women and children in Waco, Texas, Oh, he's a Waco boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All the right. FBI, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the great, making eye contact now. Yeah. <laughs> the great, the greatest hoax in American history, the Russian collusion fabrication. <laughs> go forward and lied through their teeth to the FISA courts in the process. Those guys, this is what they know. This is what they now do to earn their pay. Play schoolboy bully. So he's a he's what a is good he guy. What is he complaining about them watching? Like, what is he actually a? Is there like specific things that he's mentioning that like the FBI is recording or what? Oh no, I, he doesn't really get into that. He's just blaming them for not everything. big on specifics. Yeah. You know, he he does blame them for bungling the Boston Marathon bombing atrocity, and it could have been prevented if they'd been somewhat attentive to the tips they had received. Dude, the well, Boston Marathon, do you want to derail? I don't, you probably, it probably wasn't on your radar too much because, you know, you don't live in Massachusetts, but the Boston Marathon. I heard bombing, of it. It was, it was just, ah, dude, I don't, I think it's pretty well established that I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there are a couple that I gravitate towards. Um, and, or I should say a couple that I wouldn't rule out. But generally, I try not to like go down that rabbit hole because I feel like most people, who are into conspiracy theories aren't the kind of people I want to engage in conversation with. (laughs) So like if we agree, it's like for, if we agree on like something that might've happened, the reasons for why are going to be way different. So it's just a lot to get involved in those conversations. Yeah. You got to sign on to a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the marathon bombing is one that just 
for some reason never really sat right with me. But at the same time, after like the trial and everything and the way that the Yoharis and I kid responded to it all, I was like, that's like, that screams guilty as shit. I don't know. Anyway, I don't have a lot to say about that. I, I do like that. The Russian collusion thing is the biggest hoax in American history. I know the biggest hoax. It's the biggest hoax. There's so Remember many like things. Gulf of Tonkin, dude. <laughs> MK Ultra. <laughs> like, well, that's not really a hoax. I guess that's just deviance from the government. But I don't know. It's t- it's weird because shit comes out, right? You have MK Ultra, which is super fucked up. So then, like, that gives you a good reason to be distrustful of of what's going on. Uh, I don't think it gives you a reason to just disbelieve every single thing ever. But if if a narrative's being given that doesn't line up, you can go, I don't know about that. And I have reason to think that they wouldn't be honest. But what that doesn't give you the right to do is come up with an insane theory that's based on complete make-believe land and tell everybody that it's factually true because you built an entire theory on the absence of any sort of evidence. Yeah, you can be skeptical without like, like defaulting to skepticism whenever something doesn't line up with what you want it to look like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's pretty upset about the FBI. What, what else is on his radar? Yeah. All right. What's next? All right. Welcome to the heartbreak hotel kid. I don't even know what that means. That's just like, this is another completely full page. He takes up an entire newspaper page with this. Uh, except for at the bottom right corner, there's an ad advertising the Spencer Senior Center to host food giveaway. Other than oh. that, <laughs> a little bright spot on the page. This guy, it's like he's he's writing in like disc jockey speak. Like yeah. he's a person that consumes like AM talk radio all day, every day. And he just that's that's his second language now. He just regurgitates those lines. Uh, yeah, he he. If the more you listen to like what he has to say, the more you read what he's saying. It's like it's it is just all the hits. You're not you're you're just he's not saying anything neat or interesting or whatever. I mean, so this piece is all about like uh, him. He this this one page write up was because he saw a guy that had a a uh, a Bernie bumper sticker. Oh, OK. And so he makes the assumption that this guy's heartbroken over Bernie not being elected as president. And of course, he says all the natural things you'd expect him to about Bernie, communist, things like that. But he, it's like, I, but the fact that he can come up with a one-page rant, right? So like, he's like, if anyone's heart should be broken, it's those of people like me. Me! On the conservative side of the political spectrum, most of us are now old. But we still have our memories of when we were proud and grateful to be Americans. And we have watched in disbelief as everything our parents, grandparents, and other ancestors worked so long and so hard to build be destroyed on a daily basis by people like your heroes. Filthy, rich, entitled, corrupt, marrow of their bones, America-hating elitists, and all the stalwarts, Democrats, the party of slavery, sedition, secession, segregation, and stupidity. Oh, got all the hits in there. Yeah, that's he's. I he do like how stuff. he stuck with the S theme. I mean, yeah, that was I, pretty good. I will give it to this guy. He actually does know how to write. A lot of times when you read articles like this written by people, you're like, okay, that's a run-on sentence, dude. Learn how to use a comma or a period every once in a while. 
this guy actually does write uh, a legitimate, like legitimately, he knows how to craft a sentence and and put words to paper. So I just, I, I'll hand it to him there. I just like, there's so many of these people. And it's like, what is this memory that you are hearkening back to? Like, yeah. Because it sounds to me like it's just I felt different about things back then than I do now. You know, is anything really that different? Is anything that different? If you just like unplugged yourself from Mark Levin Radio for the next two (laughs) years and then plugged back in, would you know that anything had changed unless there was a presidential election? You know? Yeah. I mean, if they weren't watching like a 24 hour news cycle and being like having that fear stoked. Like, I don't know. I mean, this guy's, he retired. Now he, according to the beginning of this article, has a part-time job as a box truck driver. Like, I don't really know. Like he's living comfortably in retirement. Uh, Okay. He was a teacher. He's living. I love this. I like when people hate socialism, right? But you're a teacher. You're employed by the state. Your pension's by the state. Like everything you're doing is that I mean that teachers it's basically I like, paid into it my whole life. Yeah, that's a that's a socialist thing. It's like yeah. everybody has a right to an education. Like that that that's a that's a small part of socialism right there. So it's funny when people really hate it. Uh but for him to like so he he worked, he retired. Now he just drives a box truck probably because he wants something to do, right? And he's he has all these feelings about how his country's being torn apart before his eyes, but it's like, dude, I'm telling you where we live, I can't imagine it really being anything like he he feels or like he says he feels it is. Like those feelings are unrelated like, to his lived reality for sure. You just want to be like, look at the bright side, you'll be dead soon. I I know. I know. And he said most of us are old. It's like, yeah, so let's take that perspective for a second and Try to consider why the majority of people who have that opinion are are old. And, and the, and, some of the hits like, oh, the party of slavery. It's like it, anyone who defaults to that has like the worst and poorest understanding of history. Look, I am not going to stand here and defend the Democratic Party. I won't stand here and defend Joe Biden for a second. I am totally unenthused by him. I I don't I'm not a Democrat. I, I don't. I don't I don't like the way the party functions, like the Democratic Party functions. I don't like a lot of things about where we're at as a society and, and the way our political uh, the way our politics work. It's it's frustrating. It's it seems unproductive. It doesn't seem representative of the people. Uh, I could also you can also make a solid argument that what people want isn't always what's best for them. And I don't know how you decide that or who gets to make the rules. But we do. I, I just like, but to, to, to become that, to get to this point in your life, when everything's worked out really well for you, when you've been able to retire at a reasonable age and live and, and, and be comfortable and to act like things are being torn apart in front of you when millennials, Gen Zers, you know, when 40% of their income or more, more than 40% of their income might have to go to just, just paying for a shitty apartment. Or something like that. Like clearly the economy's shifted for the worse and it's not affecting the oldest generation as much as it's affecting the younger ones, right? Bootstraps, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, hey, I will criticize Joe Biden this week. Um 
because they're taking a well, there's that. Okay, I'll criticize him twice. <laughs> Fell asleep in a really boring meeting. He also apparently farted in front of the Duchess of Cornwall. Have you oh, seen this story? I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Dude, when so... you're old, they just fall out of your butt. Like, you can't hold your fart. I'm, Dude, I'm 33, and I realize how much harder it is for me to hold my farts in now as a 33-year-old than it was when I was 23. It doesn't work the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think as long as the separator's intact, you know, that's that's the main thing. But it's- apparently, Camilla Parker Bowles, who is the Duchess of Cornwall, she said it was long and loud and impossible to ignore. No. And that does not speak American exceptionalism to me. It, it certainly doesn't. I wasn't sure if, are you sure she wasn't talking about his penis? She was talking about his fart. Yeah, thank God. Okay. We got one that didn't pull out his penis. <laughs> I think it is funny to me how like like older people continually like when when you disagree with them on the course of something like that and they continually are like I just worry about what's going to be left for you guys. I just worry about what you guys are going to get handed when I'm gone and it's like okay, um how about we talk about like uh, federal parkland and stuff and how you want to sell that to like an oil corporation or something <laughs> like that. They're like, I know. Ah, drill it. Who cares? Like that's our land. That's, that's a tangible thing that we have access to now. You want to sell that? Just like open a bunch of frack pits, you know, <laughs> that we're asking for. We're like, please just let us have some national parks. Like, look, when I talked about being concerned about what you guys are going to have, I was talking about money, not <laughs> yeah. land. We don't care about land. We care about money. We don't live it's there. about how I feel. And right now, I don't feel like I can wear this sleeveless American flag denim vest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's I, Okay, I don't know how much more time we want to spend on this, but I will run through a couple more. Well, I'll, I'll read a quick paragraph out of a the, his other two articles because it, it culminates in a good way. So I want to, I'll get to that. Well, we can rush this ahead a little bit more and not hang out at this station for too much longer. But the next issue, October 29th, he says, I hate to say, I told you so, but name of the article, little piece. He says in just nine agonizing months, by the way, nothing compared to what they have in mind we have gone from being energy independent for the first time in our history, as well as exporting petroleum to gas on its way to $5 per gallon from $1.80 under Trump. And now having to once again go hat in hand to the Middle East for the lifeblood of our economy. It only now dawns on the cognitively challenged that everything, everything has to cost more when the means to produce those things oil skyrockets in price but the biden handling ventriloquists hate oil and gas so you will just have to suck it up sucker uh working in the oil industry i don't know that i totally disagree with him it may have been a little short-sighted to just cut off oil and gas production in the ways that they did when they uh they did, but it's all still there. You know, we still have strategic reserves. It's all accessible. What know? do you know about why it was cut off? I, this is something that kind of falls flat on me. My understanding is that it was like 
look, we're again, here's what's always funny. And any side can do this. All people of all parties say the same old fucking bullshit, which is they blame all of the problems of the administration on the past administration. If they were against the past administration and blame it on the current administration, if they're for the current administration. And it's like, and they go, it's just, okay. So you could say it's just been nine months. Like, like when you look at how long it's take it, when you look at supply chains and how they got fucked up and how we're dealing with that now and how long it's been an issue. Like, so I work in retail. I know you work in an industry that's dealing with supply chain issues. It's, that that didn't happen overnight, right? It's it's been right. like a year or two in the making. Like that's like started with really COVID, uh, but it, it's just like to carte blanche blame a a singular person for all the problems that you're having when it's like it, it's obviously more nuanced than that, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So like. Now, but you, it sounds like you're saying something about we cut all oil production in the in the Middle East or something like that. Well, no, 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 that- not all. We just they they scaled back our oil production domestically is the way I understand it. And so was that related to COVID? I don't, man. I don't know off the top of my head. I know some of it is like you know environmental future concerns and things, and they're trying to transit. You know. Put yeah, a little yeah. pressure on the country to transition to to renewable resources, which is all good, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. There's some issues right now for sure. Yeah, let's park on renewable resources for a second. Okay. <laughs> everybody loves this topic. I, I it's a I always find this stuff tough, right? Because there are there's obviously a lot of people uh, working towards renewable energy. Like obviously, we know being oil dependent forever and ever and ever is a really stupid idea. And it's weird when people seem to like when people seem to be making the case that this is like when, when Trump was like, we should up, we should up coal production. Why don't, why, why are we going out on coal? It's like, because we don't need to use, because we don't need to anymore. Like that seems like, like nobody was looking back fondly on their coal mining jobs. Like, I understand that there are areas where people need them. I don't know. I watched uh, the movie October Sky and coal mining looked really shitty. <laughs> I, yeah, it's not ranked. It doesn't rank high on people's uh, <laughs> list of recreational activities. That's for I sure. watched Zoolander and Zoolander's dad got the uh, black lung. I mean, that's serious. <laughs> yeah, there's I think it's I think uh as long as there's a plan to transition over time so that, you know, we don't have a gap in our power demands and things like that, especially like, you know, Texas last year where they had that free cold spell and then they had rolling yeah. blackouts and stuff. It was pretty dangerous, you know. I think as long as there's contingencies in place for like, hey, we need power. How do we get this going now? We got it. We have to transition. You know, we have to move towards something more renewable. There's some of it that, like, like in the auto industry, like the idea of us all being in electric cars in the next, you know, even 15 or 20 years is pretty out there. You know, yeah. but we can. I'll, I mean, the vast majority of us can tra- transition towards some sort of like a hybrid electric vehicle right. it's a lot more you know uh efficient and stuff like that and i think that that's the way that it's gonna go like the 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 long term like 
Elon Musk pie in the sky thing is we're all going to be driving like a battery powered vehicle exclusively. Maybe not anytime soon, but like, you know, we can definitely take routes to being a lot more efficient if we have a hybrid electric system. It is funny because you do say electric and a lot of people get really hard, but like with electric, that means you have everybody plugging in their cars to charge their batteries, which means you need to, you know, that that's it. That's a strain that on good the cold, grid. brother. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, exactly. That's a strain <laughs> on the grid, which requires like a way to revolutionize the way that we get energy in general. Like there, it, everything affects something else. And then you look at what, obviously the renewables that, you know, people look at the most that, you know, you talk about using solar, uh, but you know, you run into but the battery technology for solar is not exactly where it needs to be to rely on it. Right. Cause you could have solar, but if you have a cloudy day or a few cloudy days, or like you, you run into some problems because the batteries start running out. It's like, I mean, it's really dependent on, on, on technology advancing when the way, when it comes to the way we can store energy, like there's so many things that are affected by it, that it, that I guess one of the things I always get frustrated with and what kind of pushed me out of conservatism is like, it felt like simple answers to complex questions. And I feel like that's one thing that the, I feel like one thing that liberals can do, or should say Democrats, I don't, it's more like a party thing than it is a ideological thing. Uh, But I feel like when you're listening to Democrats speak from a podium or try to obtain votes, you end up with, simple answers like like just more solar we need more windmills like you i'm not saying there isn't truth to that i'm just saying like they they make it seem simple and and when push comes to shove if you did that we don't have a way to like maintain that energy or to store it in a way that would be productive if uh if you had a week's worth of bad weather or something like that like you just need to advance technology in so many ways before you can do that that not that they can't go hand in hand or simultaneously, but it does feel like that the answers feel trite. They do feel like the simplicity that I've always found frustrating or that I began to found frustrating when I drifted out of being a Republican. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that fundamentalist rational loop that we've talked about where it's like the answer to why this isn't working is because we need a purer form of conservatism or a purer form of, whatever democratic socialism and stuff and we're just not doing it right enough yet and that's why the results aren't here you know yeah, I, yeah. I'm with you but i mean i feel like our our country as a whole does not want long answers <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, give me the sound bites in a way that i can regurgitate them so i can yeah. yell through the paper and, and feel right and do you ever feel like you learn enough information to really shut down an argument and get into a conversation with somebody and you blow your load real quick and you're like, and then they say something back and you go, fuck, I'm out of things to say. I used them all. <laughs> I thought that was the end all of this conversation. I knew I was going to win. I've hit my points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to. All right. Let's finish out this McRae dude. His last piece is a real hitter. It's uh, I love that this is published in a, a local paper. It feels very Parks and Rec. Uh, liberalism is truly a mental disorder. That's the title. Ah, <laughs> uh, so this is this is a Michael Savage fan. Yeah, <laughs> probably. In his first paragraph, he references uh, Rush Limbaugh. Pour one out for the great. Uh, but 
okay, where's the uh, where's the piece here that was like, oh boy, oh yeah. For example, who but a liberal? No, a Democrat could think it was a good idea to say to an inner city minority girls, two inner city minority girls, that as long as there was no husband or male provider in the house, she could stay home, do nothing and see her handout from the government be increased with each additional baby she and some phantom father could produce. Oh, I'm going to go. Your paper I'm go ahead is guess publishing this. that? Yeah, dude. I'm going to go ahead and guess this guy's a racist. Uh, if we didn't get to that point by now, that's uh, that language there. Is, that's rough. Screams racism. I can't <laughs> believe bad. they're publishing that. I mean, yeah, there's a point at which it's like, oh, this is real dicey. Yeah. Who but the usual suspects could believe for even a moment the solution to violent, indeed unbelievably murderous crime in the Democratic run cities could be addressed by defunding and removing the police from the neighborhoods. The only hope for safety, the good and decent citizens have or had. Oh, there's a berserk drugged out giant of a man screaming and swinging a machete down at the corner can you get us a social worker hopefully with a master's degree out here to calm things down idiocy lunacy all courtesy of the overeducated liberal fools who live far enough away to assume they'll never have to deal with the consequences of their own society killing directive yeah they sleep at peace at night knowing that this guy is very <laughs> concerned about city neighborhoods i mean I know, maybe all his the heart's places in the that right he place. lives nowhere to, i love the criticism <laughs> of uh people not living near these places he doesn't live near these places i live next to him i know we're not dealing with giants swinging machetes down the street i don't is that a real case he's referencing do you think this guy refused to shop at target at any point because of like transgender bathrooms and or he and called it uh tarjay do you think he called it tarjay oh yeah Called French fries, freedom fries. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely got that ring to it for uh, sure. Oh, oh my man, it hurts. It's it bad. Hurts it, this is every to. single week he goes off like this. And there's, like I said, there's a few people who respond to him and it's pretty funny. And there's this other guy, the other guy, Rob Willard. I'm not going to get into his pieces now, but he's got some great pieces. Uh, over the past few weeks, he's written always to tyrants. It doesn't cost nothing, which, of course, is a poke at liberals thinking everything should be free. Mm -hmm. Government propaganda. That was a good one. I, I wish we could take some time to get into that. And then my favorite, the death of free speech. Uh, which which what of his speech is being destroyed? Does he right, list specific he, examples? I don't know. It's hard to imagine him really having his free speech destroyed as he publishes his thoughts every single week in the local newspaper like he's not exactly being shut down dude i don't know how you read that paper that's pretty rough <laughs> i don't read it regularly but i do go online and check it every week but like i said i missed a number of them i mean i, I like the idea of posting them uh so other people can enjoy the fun I, I they're just so long i'm like that feels like a lot to get people involved in but i want to know how many pounds of Infowars supplements he takes a week <laughs> <laughs> he definitely bought a flak jacket just got my order of super male vitality in yeah i don't dude infowars is funny because it's like people are like dude i listen to infowars because they just give you the straight truth 
They don't, uh, <laughs> you know, they're not in, they're not interested in trying to sell you something. It's like, dude, they told you to be terrified for your life of a government takeover and then cut to a commercial where they sold you a flak jacket. It's yeah. So they sell you a, a $60 bottle of nascent iodine for the coming like radioactive war. Yeah. <laughs> what is nascent iodine for? It's something, it's some sort of stuff that helps you dispel radiation or something like that. It's like one of those things that's always making the, the list of products on the like conspiracy theory circles list. Like that colloidal silver is another one. I've heard that one. I've heard of colloidal silver. Is that good for fighting off werewolves? I would imagine. I mean, you know, operating strictly off of a legend material, but (laughs) yeah. Cross is great for vampires. Get it, bring a garlic around your neck. Yeah. It's like, I know it's like, uh, I think they kind of prescribe it for everything. Like, uh, you know, people give it to their dogs to help with their arthritis. They give it to themselves to protect against cancer. Like, Perfect. I'm waiting for them to reintroduce bloodletting. When is that going to happen? When's that coming back? <laughs> Specialty edition Please. Damascus steel bloodletting knife set. You think if we make a convincing post, uh, make a make a like a jank social media account and uh, make a convincing post that putting leeches on your body can help get rid of COVID. Do you think we'll start seeing that? Oh my word. We buy a bait company and sell leeches for (laughs) medical purposes. Dude, I'm all about it. I'll dabble both of my favorite things while we're at it. (laughs) Profit off the pandemic like a real piece of shit. (laughs) Bezos style. Bezos is going to be the only one sending rocket dicks into space when we're done. Dude, that's like what our our buddy uh, Jim Baker he got in trouble last year for selling like a colloidal silver type COVID cure. Yeah. He's I, he hasn't learned his lesson. He's always trying to sell something. Dude, the, the videos of him selling those survival food buckets are amazing. Especially if you go back and watch like Vic burgers remix of them where they're like, they're like eating 30 pounds of mashed potatoes out of a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous do you remember when uh when after 9-11 people started selling parachutes like backpack parachutes to people parachutes yeah you don't remember that no yeah like yeah the the some companies just started like oh like marketing parachutes as like a safety device to have if you work on the top floor of a building and shit yeah oh wow okay i was i was thinking like you're that's your your carry-on item when you go on a plane or something no, like that. Yeah, after that, it's like after the towers collapsed, people were like if they had parachutes, that they would have been fine. And people started selling parachutes, and people started buying them. Of course, like dude, that's the thing. Fear, dude, that's what makes money. That's what's so I, I and it's so wild about the world we live in is like everybody. Whenever when I start hearing all these fear-based reactions from people, you go, "You are a prime candidate to make somebody rich." And yeah, you are. And you are. Yeah, that's uh, definitely the case. I feel that's why like it hits uh, so hard with evangelicals. Oh, go ahead. Well, it's like you get you get to feel like you're doing something to keep yourself safe. And you also get to feel like you're smarter than everybody else. Like you're prepared. Like that's a big part of the prepper thing is like mm. all of these simpletons are going to be begging for me, my help when the the power shuts off and they declare martial law. But I prepared. I'm I'm stocked up and ready to go. 
<laughs> that's true. It, it, I've definitely heard my fair share of that. Like it, it, it's there is that arrogance of like, oh, these. But, you know, that same arrogance took place with uh, like rapture. Isn't it ironic that the people who mostly believe, like who are like most strongly believe in the rapture are also the most likely to be doomsday preppers? It is. Yeah. Like, they go hand aside, in hand. Bro. It's like, I, you think you're getting left behind, bitch? Where are you? Uh, what are you afraid of? Dude, how many times since whenever, you know, Jesus died? How many times <laughs> did people is, think that this Jesus came back? You mean, how dare you? How many times since Jesus came back? Have people thought <laughs> that the world is like, it always cracks me up when I think about it. Like the, the amazingly awful circumstances that people have lived through. Oh, in God. the last, even dude, just take the last like 250 years and you wipe out a lot of awful things. Like you wipe out like the Mongol invasion of the Middle East and stuff like that. It, just not even going back that far. Like if you were living in Poland in the 30s, wouldn't you have to look around and be like, I got left. Like I got left. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah, and meanwhile, like people today, like the the same people who talk about how soft everyone is, they're like, probably the end of the world because Trump didn't get elected. I know, and they call everybody snowflakes when it's like any real form of adversity would be like, like their their idea of persecution is people not saying Merry Christmas and shit like that. Like, yeah, okay, family yeah, it, values. It's it's wild it, the way that. I, that's why I think all that wraps up so well with the culture we came, the evangelical culture we came from is like, obviously there's plenty of conservatives who aren't religious. I, sh- I don't even know if plenty is the right word. Like religious conservatives are the, are predominant. Like you, you get, I feel like pickings get kind of slim when you take religiosity out of it. And it might not be like a devout religious, but it, it does tie into like a, a sort of like American pseudo christian yeah it's gotta you might not go to church every sunday it's like a you love god and country or a a lacroix like tinged with american christianity regardless of how you do it yeah so when you i I just feel like that that the fear you know but stoke the fear is what goes so well with it because i feel like that's what we came up with like it wasn't marketed to us that way because fear is always marketed in a more tactful I shouldn't say always, but it can be marketed in a little bit more tactful way. It'll talk about being prepared. uh, And that's why you get this prepper mentality. But like evangelicalism, you get, do you know? Do you know that you know that you know where you're going when you die? And of course, you're going to be afraid because that is truly an impossible question. Like nobody can know that they know that they know that they know anything that's based on something that isn't verifiably true. You just always left wondering. And and the people who are the most convinced have the most control seemingly over people who, who are less convinced. And like, to me, that all builds upon itself in a way that it, it is a cyclical form of like a fear in the way that I don't, I don't even think that the people at the necessarily the people at the top, especially if you're talking local church shit like that, like the church I grew up in, I'm not going to go ahead and say that the pastor was an asshole or a piece of shit or like vent or just evil or trying to harm people or just liked controlling them. Like, I don't, I don't know him that super well. I don't really know his heart all that well, but I think it's probably safe to say that even if he f- 
within evangelicalism, there is like a level of feeling like you need to control people. Right. I did that when I tried to like convert people or talk people out of behaviors that I thought weren't right or good or Christian. Uh, but most people have that a tendency to pull people into their version of morality. But with evangelicalism, I feel like it's a little bit more intense in the way that you centralize power to a particular person, a pastor. It's so much more centralized locally uh, as opposed to like, I'm a Democrat. So, you know, maybe I, I'll pay attention to what my state representative or my governor or my senator says. Like, But there's a lot of wiggle room within that. But when you're within a church where everything's centralized to a particular person, they're like, well, my pastor says, or I need like, I don't know. And there is, it always is fear-based because the, the, the end game is to get everybody saved. Let's get you. So you, and, and to be saved, it says, it says in the Bible, you have the assurance of salvation. And then you, that's where the know that you know, that you know stuff comes from. And then you just sit there as a teenager and be like, I don't, I don't know. I say I do, but you told me if I really believed I would have read my Bible every day last week and told somebody about Jesus. And I didn't do that. So now I have to be scared again. Dude, that anxiety when those questions are being asked and they're doing the big altar call and you're like, I've done it. I, I did that already. I did what they said. I did what I'm supposed to do. I know factually that I said the right things and that I'm saved. But still in the back of your mind, you're like, oh God, I hope it. I hope I am because I don't know. You don't feel like the information is in your head, but you're you're never like confident that it's true or right or done or that you're where you're supposed to be. Like it's always like selling the idea that like confidence and security is just over the next hill, you know? Yeah. And then you just never make it to the top of the hill. It's like you're pretty soon you're, you're 17. You've been going to these altar calls and stuff like that for like 12 years now. And you still don't feel satisfied and secure in the idea that like if something happens right now, like you're going where you're supposed to go, you know? Yeah. Oh, dude, absolutely. That And there's, there's no payoff to it. Yeah, I'm with you. Like the people that I that were running my church and stuff all those years, like they're not bad people. They're not malignant or, or anything like that. You know, but from a motivational standpoint, just religion in general, there's no payoff for them in communicating that sense of security after the fact. Because like fear is what gets you in the seat. Fear is what moves you to the front of the aisle and what gets you involved in the programs and what gets you to put the money in the plate and all that stuff. And their motivation's weird because it's not like, I don't think they're coming at it from like, if I can scare these people, I can control them. They're coming no. at it from hell is a very real place and they're going there. And I need to, con I need them to know, I need them to know that this is a real possibility in that, that we need. So like, I don't necessarily think everyone's motives are pure, but I do think that, and, and we've talked at length on this about how your motives have really little to do with the outcome, like motives, fine, whatever. We can all agree that your motives were pure, but the damage was still done. So we're not, it has nothing to do with how it affected people, but it is weird. And it, I think it's still important to note the motives because at, at those points in our lives, when we said the things we did or when I 
proselytize to my friends that I hung out with on the weekends. Like my motives were as pure as they could be. Like I loved my friends and I was, I don't, I want them to get saved because I thought that that was what they needed to do. Hell is real. And I need to tell them. Yeah. And of course it's like, there's a little bit of projection going on, right? Like I'm afraid uh, that I'm going to go, but you know what it is? Uh, you know, so this will come out after our intro that we did with Tori and we had talked a little bit about Liberty and that feeling of like, we had a good time when we were there, but also like, whatever, I mean, fuck that place too. But also we did, and we talked a little bit after we had kind of recorded later on that what made that such a good or safe place for us at that time was it allows people like us to have a place where we can relax, where we could like, we could just fucking be people. Uh, we can make, like, of course you don't swear and you, but if you do, maybe you cross that line. Sometimes everybody laughs, you get a little edgy, but it's all safe. It's all okay because you know, you all believe and you're all going to heaven when you die. But like when I'm out in the world and I was out hang, like sleeping over my friend's house on the weekends, like part of me was always thinking, Oh, if I watch this, with them or they do that or i could or if i i can't drink i can't do drugs anything i do will hurt my witness and that could potentially lead them to hell and like you you're like on this edge yeah and to so to, to go to liberty where you're where you're around people who you believe are christian but you'll lose that feeling if i need to do something about their eternal state and that is such a fucking load off and it even gives me the opportunity to like not be defensive when people try to introduce me to new ideas, which is where I start having ideological shifts where people are like, Hey, I think this about God and I'm still a Christian. And then like, like, Oh, whoa. But if I was out at like my community college or at a state school and someone tried telling me about their charismatic or liberal Christianity, I've been like, Oh, watch out for this guy. That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, like you're not, you're on guard. So that like Liberty gave us a place where we could relax. Ironically, in a while it's an institution built around that same fear that we came up in. Uh, but just, a, it took that load off for me, man. And yeah, al- allowed me to change, allowed me to listen, allowed me to, to open myself up to something, to something different. It was like comfortable enough. There was enough familiarity there that like you could, you could let your guard down a little bit and just exist and be one of the people around you instead of constantly being like, I'm not, I'm not like them and I'm not supposed to be, I need to be different than them. Yeah. And there was still a little bit of me because I'm a piece of shit that felt like I needed to put on a show. Right. That's why I became a prayer leader when people ask, cause I'm like, I still need to be the best Christian in the room. So Fuck twenty year old Sam Shipman. <laughs> I'm glad. Did you ever pray for me? me? Do you ever remember specifically praying for me? I don't think I did. I felt you. You were safe. Unbelievable. Here's why. I I remember one of the nights we had like this heart to heart hangout in my room when my roommates, when my identical twin, <clears throat> identical twin roommates were gone, and we just I remember talking about all sorts of shit, like what we thought, what we believed how we went too far with our girlfriends sometimes like <laughs> just like we talked about all that shit dude and it, it was funny because that was actually a conversation where like it, there's always like um you know those conversations you have where you feel like there's a power structure where like oh i'm talking to this person who 
my I'm trying to impress or I'm talking to like I'm now I feel like I need to like bring this person up. Right. Like there's always like these dynamics. And I've I'll that that was one of my few dorm conversations where I'm like, I can look back on like that wasn't me trying to impress anybody. That was just like two fucking people talking about real shit. And it's funny like that. That memory sticks out to me, even after we didn't hang out for or talk for like six years after we left Liberty. <laughs> yeah, that was I definitely remember hanging out down there in the in your room a little bit, probably trying to get away from Dan and Ryan for a couple yeah. months too. <laughs> I know uh, you had a weird room situation. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things I need to close us out with um because I didn't read anything from the the Mark Rob oh whatever fuck his first name <laughs> I said Rob Lard <laughs> who cares I said it I don't care uh, no one's going to look for him uh, and maybe he'll be on the podcast someday so it'll be fine but it, on uh, this one just came back to me so I had to like pull it up because I had read it earlier today and I was like Jesus this is what's getting printed okay uh, Friday October eighth is when this issue came out. He goes uh, in his letter to the editor that says oh, this titled always to tyrants. To me, the January 6th protesters are the patriots of today. I have given them oh, my gratitude. Start. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have given them my gratitude for having the courage and strength to do something while others just let our country be turned socialist. We keep hearing the false claims that it was a, that it was deadly. And that six people died. In reality, the only one killed was an unarmed protester by the Capitol Police. Those trying to claim Capitol Police dying days later from heart attacks, from being out of shape, is ludicrous to me. The BLM and Antifa marches over the summer killed and wounded hundreds, but Democrats controlled, but Democrat controlled media has been instructed to say nothing on it. These are some of those killed. Then he just goes into a list of a, a small list of names of people who he says were killed in BLM protests. And shit. Apparently he doesn't believe that anybody actually died except for one unarmed protester. The lady who stuck her head through the door. That has to be it. Yeah. That was tragic. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. These people, man, they, I mean, these people publish these opinions. Like, do you know what I thought was so funny about the, about this guy, like writing the article liberalism is truly a mental disorder. There's an irony from him calling liberals mental, like having calling saying that liberals have a mental disorder when he's the one that writes into a local paper every week about how crazy liberals are. Like you're writing this every single week to a small audience of people who don't fucking care about anything you have to. And you, you think wonder, liberals have the mental disorder. Don't you wonder like maybe it was just me as a self-absorbed kid, but I remember just like not really ever being very good at anything. And you just have like these Disney movie fantasies where you're like, you know, what if uh, somebody saw me like, I don't know, dribbling a soccer ball in my yard and they were like, wow, that kid has a special gift. And then they like take me and train me and it turns out I'm a natural. And then I'm like a, a prodigy and I, I turn into like this soccer star or something like that. You know, like you develop like this whole <laughs> like fantasy in your brain about like, Oh, you actually are somebody really important and special. And you just, nobody had noticed before, but you are like, don't you wonder 
and this old man drives around thinking those <laughs> thoughts like like someday Glenn Beck he's going to be station you know he's going to be doing a book signing at the Barnes and Noble in Boston and he's going to happen to see an issue of the the local paper and he's going to notice me and he's going to reach out to me and I'm going to join his team and he's going to have me as a correspondent in the field and I'll be teaching all these classes and like there has to be an element of that where he just like walks around with like a hard on thinking about who might be reading his words right now. Oh yeah. I mean, you can't write that without being like, I, people are going to hear me. They're going to read these words and they're going to just, you know, it's funny cause he's, he's not obviously writing to people on the fence. He, he just wants people to like, I think he wants fan mail. He must want fan mail, right? He wants Gotta people be. to write back, but I bet he gets more. I bet he gets off more to the people who respond to him, telling him he's a crazy person, because that happens every other week too. As people been like, saw that new article from McRae, still as crazy as ever. Obviously making up his own shit. Like they just harp on, it. and that makes him like, oh, that's that. It's like you know how gamble. Like they say that gambling addicts are addicted to the losing, not the winning. That's what it is when you fucking write to your local paper about how your <laughs> January 6th protesters are true patriots. You're like, you want people to tell you you're a psychopath. So you can like, oh, I'll sh-. then you can write an article that says, I didn't want to have to say I told you so, but. <laughs> that's Mr. Lecrae to you. Yeah, that's Mr. So I feel like I hope that his wife left him a long time ago because how <laughs> awful would life be for that lady? Like she's got to listen to him just rant all day. Like you wouldn't believe what funny duddy in the paper said about me. She's probably like, look, don't tell me just write it in the paper. Like, I don't care as long as I don't have to read it or hear it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just don't want to listen to the shit anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Just check out lady. You can do better. Just, just get out of there. You can leave. You don't have to. I mean, you're old. It's. I know you're old and you're like, this is it. We only have a few years left, but you could spend Dude. them alone or with somebody go, who's yeah. more interesting. Dude, go to a yoga retreat, you know. Yeah. Do uh, ayahuasca. people. <laughs> I mean, do ayahuasca. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trip in the Amazon off of, uh, <laughs> off of sacred plants and just like really take hold of these last few years of your life because you don't need to spend it with that knuckle dragging doofus <laughs> yeah i don't know that's great I, i'm glad we went through his uh I, I i'm gonna post some of his full articles to the instagram uh just to see if just in case anybody else wants to read them i mean i could also just post the link well I if he ever hears it. this he's just gonna be beaming like this will give him purpose and drive for like yeah. three years i mean should we invite him on is oh, that I'm fun all for it or is that too much i is mean it's probably not fun it sounds fun in theory. It's kind of like uh, like axe throwing, you know? Like in theory, yeah. it sounds really cool. Once you're there and you've thrown it twice, you're kind of like, oh, this is this is underwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. I can. I, that's probably how I felt when I shot a crossbow. Not a crossbow. A, a bow and arrow for the... Archery sounds dope. And you like pull it back and... No, this wasn't this wasn't fun. I don't care about this. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, mini golf. Yeah. Fifteen minutes later. <laughs> You've made like sixteen putts and you hit at the ball while it's still moving and you just barely miss the hole each time. Yeah, I remembered I don't like mini golf or teenagers. <laughs>
Oh my God. All right. I think we've babbled on long enough. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, yeah, if, uh, if you're enjoying the show and you haven't gone and left us a review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, that helps us out tremendously. And yeah, we like hearing your feedback. So we got some cool guests in the works, uh, some big things coming up. Got a returning uh, favorite. Our buddy Christian Nightmares is going to be on again pretty quick here. We've got some big plans for that episode. And yeah, if you haven't checked out our sponsor, Captain Cecil's Coffee, go check them out. It's uh, it's good stuff. Uh, great and company. He just a, uh, if you're looking for dope-ass merch, he just dropped a sick hat that uh if you're into hats especially that sailor style beanie i saw that bad boy and wanted to pick that up quick i got that like new england captain cecil's hardcore shirt type thing with the logo on the front breast yeah. pocket oh yeah i rock that i rock my seas piece a lot dude that thing's <laughs> get your seas piece y'all get your seas piece get at them all right thank you everybody for listening and we will catch you next time